Welcome to The Being Leader. I'm Annabel Graham. In this episode, we'll continue to connect with our purpose and intent and think about who we are and what we do. And alongside our values and beliefs, in this episode, we're going to start to focus that lens on capabilities, the strengths, skills and knowledge that contribute to who we are and how we show up. Because we all have strengths, lots of them, even if sometimes we feel really inadequate and actually don't always recognise what we can do. So as I go through this podcast today, I'm going to think about this in three chunks. Number one, first of all, understand what strengths are and how we recognise them, because we often we get a bit confused about strengths. Number two, explore what gets in the way of us focusing on strengths and can contribute to our feelings of inadequacy and lack of confidence. And number three, I'm going to take you through a practical exercise that helps you to identify your strengths, your skills and your capabilities and really starts to ground you back into who you are as a leader and what your way of being is and actually enable you to start to think about where do you need to focus to be the leader or person that you want to be. So let's look at strengths and to understand strengths, we need to go back to where we get them from and that starts with the brain. So six weeks after conception, when we're still an embryo, we get our first brain cell, our first neuron. And they then start to explode as we are sat in the womb. By 23 weeks, we've got over 100 million neurons. That means we've developed um, 9,500 neurons a second. That's just a phenomenal growth spurt. Um, Then at 32 weeks, so that's seven weeks before birth, we get our first synapse. Now, the synapse is that connection between our neurons. It's that smart, that spark that allows us to start sense-making. And they continue once we come out of the womb. Because, frankly, we're born too early. I mean, our brains are not fully developed at that point. The brain stem is, and our limbic system is, so our fight-and-flight movement, which means that's why brains can be a bit primal, you know. Perfect, everything's fine one minute, and then they're having having a screaming tantrum the next. Um, our prefrontal cortex, our human brain, um, that bit that allows us to sort of sense ourselves, to do emotional regulation, that bit isn't developed until much later, until between the ages of four and six. So, you know, when you're sitting and trying to rationalise with a toddler who's two, it's never going to happen. Anyway, I digress. Um, so 32 weeks, we get our first synapse. At three we have got over 15,000 synaptic connections. So again, our brains have just been fizzing, fizzing with energy and with all of these connections going on between our neurons. And that's often why, you know, when you look at three-year-olds running around, it's as if we've fed them Red Bull. We haven't. It's just their brains are super, super busy. From then on, from the age of three up to the ages of 16, actually, those synaptic connections start to disintegrate. And our brain goes through something called frenetic pruning. And in doing this, it starts to prune away those connections that we no longer need. And in doing that, what it starts to enable is the development of our strengths, our talents, our skills and our capabilities, and actually the person who we are. Now, some of this is down to nature. You know, some of this is... um, predetermined. Um, Daniel Siegel, the um, author of Mindsight, says, actually, do you know what? Some of this can just be a degree of luck and that, you know, parts of our personality, whether or not we're risk takers or not, actually is predetermined before we come out the the womb. We can't learn that. 
but other parts of it is nurture. You know, so you will know people who have been in really sporty families where, you know, from the start, they play a sport, you know, multiple sports every week. They're always out doing it and they just have this natural flair for whatever the sport may be. Or it may be music. You know, you may see people who grow up in a musical household who, or because they're playing musical instruments from an early age, suddenly become proficient in three or four different instruments. And that's where that nurture piece can come in. But whatever it may be, that pruning allows some of those synaptic connections to strengthen and they become our strengths and talents and others to weaken and in some cases die off. And where those synaptic connections die off, they can never be reconnected. They can be, if they've become weakened, they can develop and they can be strengthened if we need them, but what they can't do is be reconnected. Um, and that strengthening is, is, called, is called neuroplasticity. Now, what's it like once we've got those connections? Well, where they're really strengthened, where it's a natural talent, i.e. we're doing something which we find gives, is easy, we can do without thinking too much, and it gives us a huge amount of energy, that's the equivalent of it being on 5G. You know, it's whizzing through, or, you know, super fiber broadband, whichever. Those connections which are somewhat withered off which are less strong, you know, it might seem as if we're on dial-up, that we're really struggling to get any connection there at all. And by the age of 16, half of those are gone. So in a lot of cases where our strength set is very much set by the time we leave school. So this gives us our natural talents. This gives us what we're good at and areas that give us energy. But are they strengths? And I say that, you know, if you think about it, I love dancing. I really enjoy it. It's great fun. But I wouldn't say it was a strength. I don't have a huge amount of skill and capability there. And that's where this piece about strengths and this concept of strengths comes in. So Dr. Paul Brewerton and James Brooke of Strengthscope, which is a company who runs psychometrics, describe strengths as underlying qualities that energize us contribute to our personal growth and lead to peak performance. So when we're working in our peak performance, we are using three different things. We're using our natural talents and skills and combining them with skill and knowledge. And this is where the ability to develop a strength later on comes in. You know, so we can use a latent talent or a natural strength and develop it by skill and knowledge later on. And Dr. Carol Dweck describes this as growth mindset. So it's that belief that we can overcome obstacles and get better at things. And if I give you an example of this, so I actually have quite a good strength in using Excel, you know, as a, as a spreadsheet document. And the reality is I didn't learn this at school because I was in the workplace because Excel wasn't I don't think it came out in its first iteration till about 1994-95. Now, I was a manager working in a retail firm by that point, so I certainly didn't learn that at school. However, what I did learn at school was algebra. And that made sense to me. And actually, when I sat down and looked at formulas and programming and how you can use Excel, those two things seemed very similar to me. So what I could do was just transfer a bit of knowledge and a strength in one area and developed skill and more knowledge in the area of Excel and compounded that to enable a fairly decent strength in that area. 
So recognizing and focusing on developing our strengths really can help us enormously as people. You know, it strengthens us. It doesn't deny that we have weaknesses, you know, because they are there. But it also accepts that our underlying personality doesn't change much. And it also assumes that we achieve results in different ways. You know, the strengths I use to achieve the result may not be the same that you use, but we will both enable us to do it. And and evidence shows that it produces better results. Gallup have been working in the area of strengths for over 40 years and have done millions of surveys on this and actually have shown that the more we can focus on our strengths and work in our areas of strengths, probably 70% of the time, the happier we are, the more successful we are, the more likely we are to get successful outcomes. However, we get obsessed by weaknesses. We get obsessed by what we're not good at, and that doesn't help us. So Brewitt and, and Brooke also suggest that we look at our weaknesses in a different way and that we break them down into two areas. Allowable weaknesses, so those are the weaknesses that most of us know about and can live with because we've developed tactics to work, work around them rather than become a serious problem. You know, so if we know we're not great at detail, we might get someone to check things over. We might use spell check on a, um, a document that we're writing. We might have a PA because they're great at organising us, whatever that may be. And then the second thing is on limiting weaknesses. Now, these are weaknesses that represent a genuine blocker to achieving success. So by understanding what those weaknesses are, we can develop those limiting weaknesses to an acceptable level so they don't hamper us, but also combine our strengths to develop our allowable ones, to get workarounds, which means we spend much more of our time working on what we're good at that energises us. So it's being conscious that when we're thinking about our skills and our capability, that starting with those strengths, those areas of strengths that give us energy that we enjoy, can be a really useful thing to think about. Because the more we work there, you know, 60 for 70% of the time, the happier we're going to be. Then we've got the second part that I said I was going to look at. And that's about thinking about what gets in our, the way of us focusing on our strengths. And again, this tends to fall into three areas. Mindset and limiting belief, imposter phenomenon, and societal pressures and biases. So let's look at each of those. So how often have those words, I can't do this, gone through your brain? Have you ever sat there, you know, you might have moved into a new role or agreed to take on a new project and say to yourself, do you know, I've no idea how to do this. I feel like an absolute idiot. Because the reality is, we often have a really harsh inner critic. You know, that little voice inside your head that says, you can't do this. That voice, the one that just keeps talking. You know, it's that same voice that makes us second guess things, that makes us anxious, that makes us worry about what we're doing. I've got a great coaching card by a coach named Pete Mosley, and it shows a person in the middle with a halo of other people around them and the strap line of the committee of well-meaning critics. You know, I I love that card because I think it resonates with all of us. You know, we have a committee of critics. You know, sometimes they're they're our inner voices and we might have more than one inner voice. I mean, I've got a really stroppy inner critic who needs to be shut up and popped in a box occasionally. But, But those committee of critics will pour disapproval on us or advice on us. And often our inner critic is the loudest. You know, that inner voice dials up those beliefs that hold us back. Those limiting beliefs that get in the way of what we do. And that stops us doing things, you know, where we may fail. 
where it might be risky, where we may not fully know how to do something. It holds us back before we even start. And this can be really debilitating and detrimental to us in how we achieve our purpose, our intention, but also it can impact our mental health. You know, it can make us anxious or worse. Now, as a coach, I hear limiting beliefs all the time from coaching clients, from leaders in the workplace, from friends, you know, there's a myriad of them. And I I just, as I go through a few, I want you to think about which ones would you tick off? The, oh, I'm no good at this comes out or or the classic which has been going on a lot through um you know when we're being stuck in a pandemic <gasps> I'm rubbish with technology or I'm no good at networking and meeting new people or do you know I'm not good at public speaking I hear that all of the time and then my favorite well it isn't really my favorite it's probably my pet hate I'm not confident or oh I'm not very confident now in all of these, I guarantee if, if I hear you say it, I will challenge you. Often with the words, are you? Are you really not any good at technology? Really? Or is that just the story you tell yourself? Are you saying you're not very good at it because you haven't tried and you're a bit frightened of making a mistake? That's probably more likely. But with the confidence one, I'll ask something else. I'll ask the question, not confident in what? Because the reality is I'm sure you're confident in many things. So what is it precisely that you've got in your brain you're not confident about? Because when we say those words, I'm not confident, it's massive. If we can drill it down to, I'm not confident in standing up in front of a group of people and not shaking, for example, then that's really, really easy. We've narrowed it down, we can do something about that. Whereas just saying I'm not good at public speaking probably isn't the case at all. There's probably something specifically we need to work on. Now, all these things have one thing in common. It's the words, I can't, I'm not, or it won't, I can't, they won't. And these words drive me nuts because it optimizes a fixed mindset, a mindset where we believe that skills and talents that we have are fixed and we can't get better at things. You know, that I'm no good at or I can't be often starts really early in childhood. You know, it could have come out of school or from our family, could have come from our siblings. But often, by the time we reach adulthood, it's just a repetition that we play out again and again and again. You know, I frequently say I can't draw. And the reality is that's not the case. I can. You know, I can pretty much do a perfect circle and I'm damn good at boxes and triangles. But I'm just not very good at it. And I should put in the word, I'm not very good at it yet. Because the reality is also, I don't practice, I don't try, and I don't attempt to develop my skill and knowledge. So I could be a damn set better at it. But I do know I'm creative. I can sew and knit and do most things. So it's not as if I'm not creative. It's just maybe art art is not my skill. So do you recognise this? Do you recognise the I'm not or I'm I can't that I've been talking about? And if so... What is it that's holding you back? Is it fear of failure? Is it looking stupid? Is it fear of it not working? Because we all have those fears, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try. Sometimes though, it's bigger than limiting beliefs. It's a deeper rooted anxiety and actually something that 70% of us will experience at some point in our lives. That's imposter syndrome or imposter phenomenon. 
And this can have a real debilitating impact on how we work and feel. Now, imposter phenomenon can come out in people who are high achievers, who frequently see their success as luck or as being in the right place at the right time. And to some extent, achieving things is luck, but there's a certain amount of preparedness, knowledge and skill that sort of sits there in the background. And when you put them all together, it can feel that we're lucky. And often, you know, that comes a lot down to our mindset. So when we're thinking about imposter phenomenon, it tends to show up in different ways. And some of these are, you know, people who need to be perfectionists, who want everything to be just so. And that could be because sometime in their past, that was what was expected of them. You know, if you were going to be a good boy or girl, you get everything right and it's got to be perfect. Um, And that might have been what's valued at school or what was valued at home. You know, it can never just be good enough or 70% there. Um, And that means that often then we'll come out later in an environment with people who are you know, really obsessed with getting the tiny details there and can procrastinate unless it's like that or can get really frustrated if things aren't 100% perfect. You then have the superman or the superwoman who feel they can cope with everything alone. You know, they don't need to ask for help. They can do it on their own. Asking for help is seen as a sign of weakness that they're not competent. Now, the reality is that's never going to be the case. You know, we're always going to need support from somebody. And... You know, thinking about who can help us as a resource is so useful. You know, seeing asking us for help as a weakness is not the case. Actually, we just might need to ask for advice and then decide how we need to move forward because we're always going to need some help and support. And then finally, you have those people who maybe were the natural geniuses for who everything always came easily. You know, they just woke up and knew all the subjects at school, walked into exams, never revised. I hated those people. But the reality for some people was it's simple. You know, they hear it, it goes into their brain, off you go. And that means when they get to something that is hard, where they have got to put in some effort or they fall at the first fence, they're not used to that. You know, that's really difficult. And they can end up developing a huge sense of shame around that and a huge sense of anxiety because it's not perfect or it's not easy or they weren't just naturally good at it. Now, the reality is we can't be naturally good at everything. You know, I've just been talking about strengths. We are going to have areas of natural weakness and at some point we'll come up against them in our career. To some degree, all of us go through a bit of imposter phenomenon. The psychologist Brené Brown has a great term for it. TFTs, terrible first times. Well, actually, it's FFTs, and I'll allow you to supply the first word. I'm, I'm doing the sanitised version for this podcast. You know, and what she means is, you know, when we try something for the first time, it's natural for us to be nervous, to think that we're not any good at it, to, for it to be difficult, for us to fail, for it to not be perfect. That's natural. You know, remember when you first started to drive a car? God, it was disastrous. You thought you were amazing. You'd watched your mum and dad do it all of the time. You got in the first time and drove into the curb, you know, and the the driving instructor just laughed at you because you knew it was going to happen because everyone comes in cocksure thinking they can do it. So why? Why, when we know that happens when we learn to drive, do we expect that we're going to be perfect at everything, that we can always do it? The reality is we are going to end up making mistakes. And if we recognise that, if we recognise that it's not going to be perfect, we normalise it. 
And, and that enables us to try again. You know, it enables us to screw up. I had all of those fears around this podcast. You know, will anyone listen to it? Will I be any good? Do you know, I just need to get it out there. And you sort of have to get to the point where you go, oh, sod it. And if it's perfect, it's perfect. If it's not, it's not. The world is not going to fall apart. It's going to be fine. So when we see these people, when we get this issue in the coaching room, it needs to be unpicked. We need to go back to those limiting beliefs and unpick them and recognize them. And also we need to recognize the inner critic or the well-meaning critic and make it smaller or silence it. And we need to help people see that all the great skills and strengths that they do have and also how they can use them best in that situation. More of that towards the end. The third thing that we, holds us back sometimes is societal pressures. Because we fall into a number of traps, which means our self-talk and our inner voice convinces us of what we shouldn't or can't do. You know, we're not very good at congratulating ourselves. You know, whether you see it as British reserve or cultural or societal reserves. We don't speak up and talk about what we do in case people see us as boasting or getting too big for ourselves. You know, therefore, often people never even know what we can do or what we're capable of. And this leads to number two. We think that hard work will mean people will naturally recognise us and give us praise. Now, that isn't the case. You know, people are busy. They, we often need to point things out to them before they recognise it and, and say, well done. And then also we div- diminish what we do by wor- certain words. So those words like, oh, I'm just. I'd be grateful if. Stop. Stop. Just say, I am, instead of, I'm just a. Say, I am a. And instead of saying, I'd be grateful if, just say, can you? You know, it's all right to ask somebody if they can help us out. We don't have to justify by being grateful about it in advance. Sometimes we just need to look at ourselves. Notice what we do well and what we could do better. And accept that. Accept that it's okay, just as it is. And that only from that place of admittance and acceptance can we move forward. Recognising that sometimes it's okay to be good enough. And to figure out what good enough looks like for us. And in so many different scenarios, what good enough looks like. So for me, you know, what does a good enough coaching session look like? What does a good enough workshop look like? What does a good enough podcast look like? And more to the point, We also need to recognise what we're brilliant at, what we're grateful for, and we need to be our own cheerleaders sometimes, as we can do so many things well. To recognise, accept and be happy with how we need to be as being leaders, we need to see how we are first, just as we are. Recognise it, accept it, and then move forward. And that's where we get to stage three. Recognising our strengths, capabilities and talents. So now it's over to you. I want you to grab a notebook or a tablet, a pen, your phone, whatever you want to make notes on. Whatever's going to be useful for you or is your preferred method. And I want you to start to think about the questions I'm going to ask you. And if you don't have time now, then come back to them. Pause the podcast um, or look for it in this list in the show notes. Start to shape the future and think about this as being on team me. See it as sort of a free coaching session. So first of all, I want you to think about your talents and your strengths. 
What are you good at? And when I say what are you good at, what are those strengths and things that you enjoy and give you energy? I want you to list those and then rate them on a scale of one to 10 on how much you like them, one being hate it, 10 being amazing, to how effective you are, one rubbish, 10 rock star. So what are you good at that you enjoy and gives you energy? Second, what are you good at that you can do anyway, but you don't particularly enjoy? And by that, I mean, oh, I'll give you an example. I used to work in HR. I write brilliant job descriptions, but they bore me to tears. I would rather stab myself in the eye with a sharp stick than write a job description. But I'm good at them. So what are you good at that you don't enjoy, but can do anyway? And again, rank that those things on a scale of one to 10. And then finally, I want you to think about what are you okay at that you love, but it could be improved. Again, rank and rate. Then look at all of those things and think about the role that you do now and the role that you want to do. What percentage of things in that role, um, whether it be the one you're doing now or the one you want to move to, are the things that you love doing? If it's sort of between 60, and 60 to 70% or above and you're working in areas of strength that you really enjoy, Fantastic, you're doing really well. That's probably as good as you're going to get. Um, if it's below 50%, then maybe you want to re-engineer that. And if you've got a small amount of things that you do that you're good at, but actually they don't give you much energy, as long as it's only maybe 10%, that's not so bad. You can cope with that. It's not going to drain you too much. So look at where that sits and think about, you know, what patterns are there? What similarities are there? And more to the point... Do you want to improve anything? And if so, what? And if not, are you happy as it is? So that's our benchmark. That's about plotting and understanding our strengths. The next thing I want you to look at is when you look at those strengths, so that's talent, skill, and knowledge, and then you think about your identity and your purpose as a leader, and for who you want to be and how you want to be, do these match your identity and help you achieve your purpose? Which do and which don't. And when we think about what we want to achieve and the purpose that we want to have, I want you to think about what have you yet to learn that isn't here in this page at the moment, in your strengths, your talents, your skills and your capabilities. What is not there that you aren't admitting, that will help you and support your purpose. I want you to hold up the mirror and think about what am I ignoring that I need to pay attention to, that I need to learn, that I need to develop and make a note of that. I also want you to think about what are the strengths and skills that you are overusing? And by that, I mean you're either using it too much or you're using it in the wrong place. So an example of this would be a skill in leadership. If you were to have a strength in leadership, overusing that would be taking the lead with a team member when you should be delegating instead because they're more capable of doing it on their own 
but you've done it because you want to do it and want to take the lead. So that's what I mean by that. So once you've looked at your strengths and once you've looked at the gaps, I want you to go and ask someone close to you at work or somebody who's on your support team who you like and admire and I want you to discuss this with them. And I want you to ask their opinion for what they think your strengths are and weight and development and what they agree with in what you've done and why they don't. And from that look at what development needs do you have that are holding you back and impacting your progress? That might be limiting weaknesses. And what are the gaps between your strengths and skills and those required by the role or person you want to be in? So if it's, you know what, this is a role I want to move to, where's the gap? If it's, I actually want to be this type of leader or this type of person, where's the gap between where you are now and who you want to be? Once you've identified that, then think about how you will move forward with those development areas, who you need to ask for help, and be realistic. Don't create a massive list that's too daunting. Think about the bits that are going to give you energy. Gravitate to the ones that are going to make a big difference and set your intention for what is doable. Remember, you have a whole lifetime to make this happen. It doesn't have to be tomorrow. So go away. Think about your strengths. Think about how that fits with who you want to be. Think about the gaps and think about what you can do about them. Go well and be the best version of you. And in the next episode, we'll explore behaviours and how these are so crucial to us being, being leaders. Thanks for listening to The Being Leader. 